Open our Bibles, the book of Job, chapter 37. And we uh, read verse 13 in our last reading, and we'll pick up with verse 14. I might read verse 13 to show you the connection. It says, He causeth it to come, come, and he's talking about the waters upon the earth, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. And all these things we preached on and taught last lesson. And uh, God has a purpose for even the rain, doesn't he? Sometimes it's for correction or chastisement. Sometimes it's for his land because the land is dry and it needs the moisture. And sometimes for mercy that's to be shown to one and all, both the good and bad. Chapter 37, verse 14 is where we pick up in the book of Job. Now, this is Elihu speaking, of course, at this time. And he's telling Job what all God does, and he's expounding some of the great things that uh, that God uh, does upon this earth and in the world, in the universe. And he begins with verse 14. He says, "Hearken unto this, O Job: Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God." Sometimes we don't do not stop long enough to see what all God is doing. Dost thou know when God disposed them? And cause the light of his cloud to shine. How that he calls the light of his cloud or the lightning to come. He says, Dost thou know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge? God is perfect in knowledge. And he says, Dost thou know the balancing of the clouds? We spoke of the clouds and all the water that they take in by the vapors that go up. And then God uh, continues to keep that process intact until he's ready for it to be reversed. And by nature and by gravity, they would, would all come down unless God reverses the process. Because the vapors ordinarily go up instead of come down. But he makes all, he turns it loose and it comes back down. And so the balancing of the clouds. So that the gravity does not bring them down immediately except when God gets ready for them to come down. And the wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge. How thy garments are warm when, the, when he quieteth the earth by the south wind. The grows warm so as to affect, affect it with heat by the process that God has in, in force to bring about warmth and cold. Hast thou with, <clears throat> with him... Spread out the sky, which is strong, and as a molten looking glass. In other words, can you? He's saying, Job, can you spread out the sky like God does, uh, and make it just clear like a glass, a looking glass? Image of the bright, smiling sky when all the clouds are removed and the sun shines brightly forth. And by the way, mirrors then were formed of molten, polished metal and not glass. But here it had the. It has. It says molten looking glass. Remember the brazen labor and the, uh, and the brazen things that God made in the Old Testament. All the way through, you find that uh, the took uh, to make the brazen labor in the tabernacle. He took the uh, looking glasses of the women or the brass that the women used for the looking glass or looking uh, into, and he made those things out of it. In verse 19, teach us what we shall say unto him, for we cannot, we cannot uh, order our speech by reason of darkness. 
Elihu was saying, Elihu was saying, we don't even know how to order our speech to God because we're too much in the dark about all these majestic and wonderful things. Shall it be told him that I speak? If a man speaks, surely he shall be swallowed up. He's saying that men have no way of replying to God as Job would before, you know, and telling God all about himself. We do not have the ability to argue with the Lord or to enlighten the Lord in anything. And now men see not the bright light which is in the clouds, but the wind passeth and cleanseth them. God clears the clouds out, doesn't he? Wind clears away the clouds and then the bright sunshine shines through about clouds having a silver lining. It says, Fair weather cometh out of the north, with God is terrible majesty. If you have a marginal reference for fair, it says gold weather, or the golden splendor comes out when the clouds are cleared away. So clouds symbolize trials. People have a lot of clouds in their lives and trials in their lives. And just as sure as God is able to clear away the clouds in the heavens, so that the sun will shine forth, he's able to clear away the clouds and the trials in our lives that the sunshine of his grace will shine forth to us. It's always a good thing to remember that, you know, we sing a song, the unclouded day, we sing of a land, and a time, a place of an unclouded day, He's going to make it that way for our lives in the future. We may have the clouds now, but we won't always have them. He says in uh, verse 23, Touching the Almighty, we cannot find Him out. We cannot find Him out because of His uh, majesty. We cannot find Him out because He is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. God does not give account of His dealings. God is sovereign in His operations. Look at that verse. It's a mighty, it's a wonderful verse. You should read it over. Touching the Almighty, we cannot find Him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment. <clears throat> and in plenty of justice, He will not afflict. Men do therefore fear Him. He respecteth not any that are wise of heart. God knows better than all of us, doesn't He? Now then, in chapter 38, we find Job in the hands of God. In the third chapter, we find Job in the hands of his friends. Chapter 1 and 2, Job was in the hands of Satan. Here, Actually, this is the threefold division of the whole book of Job. Chapters 1 and 2, Job in the hands of Satan. Chapters 3 through 37, Job in the hands of his friends. And then chapters 38 through the rest of the, the book, which is chapter 42, Job in the hands of God. Now then, sometimes friends do not know exactly how to deal with those that they're dealing with are so-called friends. Job's friends didn't know. They couldn't understand his problem. And the first three that came to him, if you remember what they did, they condemned him and they said, Job, if you were not so wicked and sinful, all these bad things wouldn't have happened to you. But that's not always the case. Uh, they spake from the voice of, of experience. We've seen that people that do like you do, and they didn't know what Job did. God said he was... Perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, one that shunned evil. And yet they were blaming him because they said, There must be, Job, that you have some secret sins that we don't know about. 
And even though you appear to be a good man, you must have a, a terrible, sinful heart. And therefore, God has brought this about. The voice of experience, and then the voice of, of uh, tradition, and then the voice of legalism because of the greatness of his sins. And then Elihu comes along, and he deals with Job in a different way. And he doesn't directly condemn him as, as a man, but he says, Job, I know that even though you haven't done anything that I can put my finger on, that still men are sinful in the sight of God, and we cannot justify ourselves in the sight of God in respect. And I believe every man has to, has to be convinced that he is not good in the sight of God. Now, we might uh, maintain our goodness between one another, amongst one another. But when we face the Lord, it's kind of like old Isaiah was a prophet, you know, for, for many years. And he had his eyes upon an earthly king. And in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, it says, In the year King Uzziah died, this was his idol. Don't put men up as idols. In the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. He got his eyes upon God, didn't he, instead of old man. And then he's, at the end of the, that great vision where he set, saw the seraphims and above the presence of God, he said, with each one had uh, six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And when he saw all this glory of God's uh, uh, angelic uh, glory, then he said, Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So when we get our eyes upon God, we really see ourselves more in the light that we should. So in chapters 38 through 42, we have Job in the hands of God. And let's look at it. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the, whir out of the whirlwind and said, and we'll find what he says in a minute. How does God answer Job? God answers by many questions. There are 57 in chapters 38 and 39. God asked Job 57 questions in these next two chapters. And this is how God answered Job. Instead of answering him directly, he answers him by asking him questions that Job is not able to answer. He says, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? He's saying, Job, you've talked a lot. Now, do you know what you're talking about? Words without knowledge? Sometimes we need to, to know what we're saying before we say it. Instead of just saying for the sake of putting words together. And Job, you know, if you'll read back when Job was in the midst of all of his, his uh, turmoil and depression, he was just talking about how God had mistreated him and how this had happened and that and the other. You know, he was really full of words. He says, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, and I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. He says, Stand up and fight, Job. Gird up your loins like a man. If you want to contend with someone, contend with me just a while. And then he says, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Look at the questions. Declare if thou hast understanding. He says, Job, when the earth was created, where were you? And do you understand how it was done? Oh, I know we have a lot of people now that thoroughly, completely, totally understand just exactly how it came into being, don't we? You talk to some of them, they know when that first little speck came along and how it got into a bigger one and then finally exploded and all the things that we have here on the earth just fell into place. You have 
all the animals we have, and you have the earth, and you have uh, the trees, and the grain grass, and the rivers, and everything, and even human beings. We're all here as a result of some kind of an explosion way back there. I don't believe that at all. The Bible says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are were not made of things which do consist, or were uh, material things, that he made the worlds out of nothing. And so, and by the way, how can these scientists explain where that little speck came from even then? See, or whatever it was. You used to have that tadpole theory, you know, that little lump of gummy, gooey stuff that started out. Then they finally changed it into something that exploded. They really got it all figured out, haven't they? Every, every few years, the science books change and they get a new theory. And a new uh, understanding of all of creation. We went up there and got the moon rocks and brought them back. And they come to find out they were just about as old as they should have been. You know, great discovery. Right? They were there all the time. No one questioned that they were old and how old. But, you know, they figured it all out. Had to prove it. Well, God said they were there. He said, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God brooded or moved upon the face of the water, waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And then he began all the creation, and he finally made man of the dust of the earth, and breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and it actually is lives, plural, and man became a living soul. Different than beast creation. A lot of people would like to make us look like... and. Uh, be beasts and some men are beastly because of the sinful nature but they shouldn't be that way God didn't intend us to be that way and that's why we need a new new birth and new creation and to be made more like God would have us to be by regeneration that accounts for some of these wicked sinful awful terrible things that are done that mankind does to this little mother kind of nice looking lady kill Drove her two children off in the lake and drowned them. I mean, you know, all these things, these senseless, uh, irresponsible things that people do. Well, well preacher, you, you know, you're passing judgment. No, it's just that men are, are sinful by nature. And unless there's something made right in our hearts, we do wicked and evil things. That's why we need the new birth. That's why we need changes of hearts. And then we don't do those kind of things because by the grace of God, he keeps us and he helps us to live differently. Of saying that uh, she doesn't need mercy and consideration and, and help, certainly she does. But on the other hand, look what she did. Responsible for our actions. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? He speaks of the earth as if it's sitting on a foundation like, you know, you'd lay a foundation for something to rest upon. And it's here in space, isn't it? And there's nothing to hold it up except where God put it in the in the in space. And the way He put it there is to set it upon its axis and give it the the gravitation that it has to hold itself in one place in this great uh, mass of space that its foundation is found upon. He says, "Who laid? Who hath laid the measures thereof? Did you measure it out and?" and Put a foundation down if thou knowest. Or who has stretched a line upon it? Where, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? What are they? 
Where is it fastened to? You know what that... It says, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? In other words, did you... Job, was it built just like you'd build a building? God do it that way? No, He didn't do that. And He's asking Job all these questions. And look, He says, Whereupon the foundations thereof fastened. Now, the word foundations means sockets. Like the Old Testament tabernacle was built out of boards and covered with gold, and they were set in sockets of silver. And he says, Job, do you think that we had to build them like you'd build a foundation, uh, build it, take the earth and set it upon a foundation and make sockets there to hold it up? A lot of good questions for Job, didn't he? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as, as if it had issued out of the womb? How, how is it that these seas uh, have their shorelines and stay in their places? How is it that happens? God shut up the doors thereof. It came forth as if it had issued out of the womb. When I made the cloud... Uh, the thick, uh, the garment thereof, and thick uh, darkness, a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and hither, here shall thy proud waves be stayed. When you think of the great uh, waters that cover this earth, look at the Atlantic Ocean, look at the Pacific Ocean, and then all the other uh, bodies of water. And God says, okay, there's a shoreline. We say, let's go to the beach. Let's go to the shore. Let's go uh, out to the edge of the ocean. And you say, well, it, it comes in, but only so far. And God says, you have to keep it in these boundaries. What makes it stay there? Why, why, why is not the whole country covered with the, the water? Because God has decreed that they stay in a certain place. We have the rain comes down and there's floods in certain places. An excess of rain. But God has his way in that because we just read where that it was for chastisement, it was for uh, the land, or it was for mercy. And God has his way in those things. We talked about it in our last lesson. Verse uh, 12, it says, Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know his place? He said, Job, did you cause the morning to come and the day to have its place? that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it. It is turned as clay to the seal, and they uh, stand as a garment. And from the wicked their light is withholden, and the high arm shall be broken. Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea, or hast thou walked in the, in the search of the depth? He's talking about explored all the depth of the sea. Have the gates of death been opened unto thee? You know what's beyond the doors of death? Or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived the breath of the earth? Declare if thou knowest it all. See, Job had previously claimed to know a whole lot. Declare if thou knowest it all. Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as far darkness, where is the place thereof? We know that the, the earth rotates on its axis. We know the sun stays in its place, basically. And we have a day and night, don't we? But we don't understand how that God fixed it all that way. Some people may think they do, but he says, if you know it all, you tell me all about it. Job didn't understand it, and I don't think many of us do, uh, to the extent that we're talking about God has done all these wonderful things. Verse 20, that thou shouldest take it to, 
to the bound thereof, and that thou shouldest know the paths of the house thereof. Knowest thou it because thou wast uh, then born, or because the number of thy days is great? You know, man is on the earth for three score and ten years. In the old, older days, it was a longer period of lifespan. The days of Abraham and etc. is five, six hundred, four hundred years. The days of uh, Noah on down. I should have said Noah because uh, that was when the lifespan was the longest. And uh, Methuselah lived to be 969 years, the oldest man that we have recorded. And if you uh, think about the lifespan, that's only a small period of time. Even a thousand years is only a small period of time as far as eternity and as far as God is concerned. He says a thousand years with the Lord is just like a day. He says, Job, how long have you been here? Can you look back and see when it all happened? Can you tell me when it began? Look at this. Knowest thou it because thou wast then born? Were you born then before creation and before all these things were set in order? Or because the number of thy days is great? Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail? Do you know how God handles all these things? How they're formed and where they come from? What purpose God has for them? Which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war. You see, God can cause the elements to be an instrument of, of war or to serve, to deter, and to check all the actions and deeds of men over in the states, over in Russia, and over in those places where they have tremendous snows and, and the countries that they have fought with. Well, even when they fought in World War too, with the Nazis, you know, and uh, they were our allies at that particular time. They fought with Germany. Well, the if you remember the snow re record of the snows and all the terrible weather that really just did havoc to, to certain battles that they had at a particular time. It says, um, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war. By what way is the light which scattereth the east wind upon the earth? Who hath divided a water course for the overflowing of the waters or a way for the lightning of, of thunder to cause it to rain uh, on the earth where no man is, on the wilderness where is, where is no man? doesn't neglect the place where no man is, the wilderness or the desolate waste ground. He does not neglect, neglect the desert land to satisfy the desolate and waste ground and to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth. So, Job, do you understand all this? Hath the rain a father? Or who hath begotten the drops of dew? Where did all this come from? Out of whose womb came the ice and the hoary frost of heaven? Who hath gendered it? He's saying, Job, can you do all of this? Do you have a hand in this? You know, when God puts us on the spot and he's, he's answering Job by all these questions, we find out we don't know very much and we can't do very much and we're kind of powerless. Who has control of all this weather? God does. Who has control of the rain? Who has control of the snow? Who has control of all the elements? God does. He set all the things in order so that they function properly. He has a purpose for the sun and the moon and the stars. And we only get just a glimpse. You know, with all of our powerful telescopes, we look into the, as far into the galaxy, this particular one, as we can, and we only have just a, a kind of a speck of it or a, a small view of it. 
God says there's galaxy beyond galaxy that we don't even know anything about beyond. It makes us feel a little kind of small, doesn't it? We're small in size, but in knowledge and in wisdom and in everything. It makes us see the greatness of God. He says in verse uh, 30, uh, the waters are hid as with a stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Canst thou bind the sweet influences of uh, Pleiades? Pleiades are the seven stars. To be daughters of sailing, which indicate by their rising the time of safe navigation. It's, it's uh, used as far as the uh, sailors out on the ocean. And then he says, are loose the bands of Orion. Orion a constellation visible in all latitudes can be seen from everywhere. Of 100 stars visible to the naked eye. And many years ago, 2,000 or more by a telescope and by the powerful telescopes we have now, no telling how many are seen. But then we have, Canst Thou Bring Forth a Maseroth? And that's the 12 signs, actually. The feature of the starry heavens and the marginal reference indicates the signs of the zodiac. Can you bring these forth? Canst thou bring forth Mazareth in his season? Canst thou guide Turus, or Turus, the bear ward? The large bright star, the Greeks and Romans called it by the name bear ward, the keeper of the bears. Can you, handle, can you deal with all of these various things that I've put out in the space for signs and for seasons and for guides and for various purposes? Knowest thou the ordinances of heaven? Look at that. Knowest thou set the dominion thereof in the earth? Do you know how the heaven has its ordinances and everything works according to God's purpose? Remember the Bible says that Jesus was the creator of all things. In the book of uh, Colossians, I believe it's chapter 1, it says that he is before all things and by him all things consist. The word consist means they're held together or glued into their places so that they'll function properly. If the Lord wanted to set all the whole thing in chaos, He could do it in an instant. He could make everything collide and there would be catastrophe upon catastrophe. But He kept it all in place. It all has a purpose and a function. It's all orderly. It all has a purpose in His counsel. It's in verse... Uh, 34, canst thou lift up thy voice to the clouds that abundance of waters may cover thee? Can you cause it to rain by just speaking to the clouds? Canst thou send lightnings that they may go and say unto thee, here, here are we? You don't have any power over the lightning or over the clouds. Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts or who hath given understanding to the heart? I love this verse. You know what it says? Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts or who hath given understanding to the heart? What is it that made man to have a conscience and an inward wisdom and understanding of things so that when he does wrong, he knows he's doing wrong? You, have you ever heard people say, I didn't know it was wrong? Yes, you did. Tell me you didn't know it was wrong. God said you know it's wrong. No. People try to excuse themselves. Well, I didn't know. Let me give you something. Look in the book of Romans. Romans. Chapter 2, 14 and 15. When the Gentiles, which have not the law, this is every person on the earth that's not a Jew, we're all Gentiles. 
Jews and Gentiles, okay? For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, they didn't have the written law given directly to them. When they do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Listen. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And it says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. He's saying that God is going to judge us on the basis of the fact that we know when we do wrong. See, this old business of trying to hide behind ignorance and saying, well, I didn't know. That just won't work with God. You may, it may work with man. We're going to have to stand before God someday. The Bible teaches us that we're going to stand there without excuse. We're not going to say, Lord, well, I didn't know. He's going to say, oh, yes, you did. That I gave you a conscience, and your conscience was telling you what you were doing was wrong. And you didn't repent of it and turn to, to God in faith and ask for help in the problem. Doesn't mean we don't have problems. That's not what we're talking about. All of us have problems. But the Lord is the only answer to them. And when we try to excuse ourselves, we're just fooling ourselves. When we try to pull the wool over someone else's eyes and say, no, look, I didn't know anything was wrong about it. I thought I could live like I wanted to, and doesn't make any difference. You can't live like you want to. You better learn how to live how God wants you to do. He has some restraints. The Bible says, It is not in man that walketh at his own steps. He doesn't know where to go, how to, how to walk. A man needs God's direction. Let me give you that. In the book of, look in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I believe it's chapter 9. Let's see if it is. I may not can find it. I think I can, probably. I don't seem to be able to. In the book of Jeremiah, it tells us that we're uh, not able to guide our own steps. That we need God guide, God's guidance. So if we don't know how to guide our own steps and our own lives, we need God's guidance. Alright? Uh, let's look at this now. It says, in verse 36, Always hold your place where we're studying. Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts, or who hath given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds the clouds in wisdom, or who can stay the bottles of heaven? When the dust groweth into hardness, and the clouds cleave fast together. Wilt thou hunt uh, the prey for the lion, or fill the appetite of the young lions? Are you going to feed the wild beasts? Said Job, are you able to do this? When they couch in their dens, and abide in the cupboard to lie in wait, who provideth for the raven his food? When his young ones cry unto God, they wander for lack of meat. God has to supply for all the creatures of this earth. In chapter 39, you'll have the wild goats and the hinds. You'll have the wild ass. You'll have the unicorn. You'll have the peacock. You'll have the, uh, the uh, ostrich. And you'll have the, the horse, all mentioned here, and how God provides for them and takes care of them. Let's look at chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth, or canst thou mark when the hinds do calve? The wild goats and the hinds are the subject. Canst thou number the months that they fulfill? Or knowest thou the time when they bring forth? They bow themselves, they bring forth their young ones, they cast out their sorrows. Their young ones are in good liking, they grow up with corn, they go forth and return not, not unto them. 
they bring forth the young with much sorrow and difficulty. And yet in the providence of God, they are safely uh, produced. Not in the wild. They don't have any care, but they take care of themselves. Verses 5 through 8 show us the wild ass. Who has sent out the ass free? Or who hath loosed the, ha- the bands of the wild ass? Whose house I have made in the wilderness and the barren land his dwellings. He scorneth uh, the multitude of the city, neither regardeth the, the crying of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searcheth after every green thing. What about this one? God has set him free. His freedom from service, the liberty of the wild ass. It's better to labor and to be uh, good for something than to be like the wild ass and not have any service at all or any purpose at all, but to wander out in the wilderness. Verses 9 through 12 tell us of the unicorn. It says, Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide uh, by the crib, by thy crib? Canst thou bind the unicorn with his band in the furrow? Can you make him plow? Or will he harrow the valleys after thee? Wilt thou uh, trust him because his strength is great? Or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? By the way, let's read verse 12 and then we'll talk about it. Wilt thou believe him that he will bring home thy seed and gather it into thy barn? For unicorn is R-H-E-M or R-E-I-M. It means a strong creature. And he's able... Uh, to serve, but not willing to serve. He has the ability and the power and the strength. And he's believed to be the rhinoceros. You know, the unicorn of the Bible has two horns instead of one. If you go back in the book of Deuteronomy, I believe it's the 33rd chapter, you'll find he has two horns. And there's a kind of a fictitious thought about the unicorn. Let me see if I can find it. 33 verse 17, is it? Yeah. 33.17 33.17 says, His glory is like the first firstling of his bullock, and his horns are like the horns of unicorns. And it says in the marginal reference, instead of unicorns, plural, having horns, it says an unicorn. So he has more than one horn. If you're talking about that which is spoken of in the book of Deuteronomy. But when you come over into the book of Job, you find that many believe that it's speaking of the rhinoceros. Because of his horn. Some, some, there are some mysteries about all of this to understand the unicorn. But uh, he's believed to be the rhinoceros. And as such, in verse 10 it says, Canst thou bind him with his band, the unicorn with his band, in the furrow? Can you take him and hook him up like you would an ox to plow? Bind him in the furrow? Or will he harrow the, the valleys after thee? Can you cause him to harrow the valleys with a harrow? Wilt thou trust him because his strength is great? Or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? When you get down to verse 13 now, Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacock? Concerning the peacock, the proud wings, fine feathers, make proud birds, don't they? It's emblem of pride. Sometimes those gifts are not always most valuable that make a person uh, showy. And proud. The peacock can sit there and look pretty, but that's about it. <laughs> feathers into the ostrich. Wings and feathers into the ostrich. You have the ostrich, too, to speak of. Ostrich, too, has goodly feathers, but he can never rise above the earth. Seem to be without natural affection. 
which leave her eggs in the earth and warm them in dust, and forgetteth that the, that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. We speak of men being without natural affection. Here's one that's without natural affection. If the sand and the sun hatch them, well, well and good. She's not there, though, to warm them. If we take no care of our own children's bodies, let alone their souls, are we like the ostrich that has no care for the young? You say, well, how do they get there? Well, uh, without much concern about her. She tells you about it which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in dust and forgetteth that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is vain without fear because God hath deprived her of wisdom. Neither hath he imparted to her understanding. We need God's understanding in all things or we would be just as foolish to not care. Parents, Fathers and mothers should care about their children and their young ones, and even the birth of them, them coming into the world, should be concerned that once the child is conceived that it be born. We shouldn't be like an ostrich and not care whether the egg that hatches or not, and just lay it out there in the sun, and whatever happens to it is just by chance or providence. All young mothers should have their babies and take care of them. There are various circumstances, there are various situations, there are problems, sometimes there are unwed mothers. And I would say to them that they need to first think about the fact that they could be an unwed mother and take uh, God's Word and realize that you should follow God's Word concerning sexual relationships, especially that there be none until you accept, uh, until you have a mate life, husband and wife together. And this is things that God's Word teaches. Get into the moral aspect of it. And that's not touched upon by our society today. It doesn't make any difference. They touch on every other aspect of it, but not the moral aspect of it. We need to remember, say to a young lady, if she's going to have a child, to have that child and take care of it and love it, regardless of the situation. 